Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 702 of the milk bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, we'll be hearing from the happy traveller, Marcus Proctor. He's letting us know about his book, which documents his six years backpacking around the world. We'll also be hearing from Shappy Sandy, having a natter with her and the team at Nationwide about money mules and also having a bit of a giggle along the way and a difficult subject. On top of that, we've got Chris Amu joining us from The Real Thing. Of course, they launched launched in the 70s they've recently put out their first studio album in 40 years and they have a christmas song so we'll be hearing from them and on top of that we'll also be finding out what's going on in the world of martine mccutcheon as she gets ready to celebrate the 20th anniversary of love actually and help make christmas work well with one for all gift cards that's on the way on the show this week When it comes to Christmas, we need to reduce the drama and have a harmonious one. That comes from everything, from who's having the Brussels sprouts to who gets what for Christmas. Somebody who is part of everybody's Christmas is Martine McCutcheon, of course, star of Love, actually. And we have Lou Hickey with us as well from One for All Gift Cards. Good afternoon to you both. Good afternoon. Hi. Now, now first of all, Martine, what is it like being Christmas to so many people? Oh, do you know what? It's an absolute honour and an absolute privilege. I've been called, it made me laugh because someone said the other day that I was called the Christmas Queen and then apparently Mariah Carey was trying to paint it. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't tried to paint it, but that's what they've called me. What an honour. Mariah Carey. I mean, you know, God, she's the best of the best. So no, it's, um, it is really lovely to be so associated with the time of year that I genuinely adore and love. Um, and I am known as the Christmas fairy in my family. <laughs> um, so yeah, and we host Christmas at ours every year. And we do have, you know, the squabbles and the little arguments and the little kind of, you know, bits that irritate each other, like every family does. But ultimately, it's all about, you know, how you make each other feel and love and being thoughtful. But do you make them sit down and watch Love Actually? My family will watch it, yeah. even though they know I can't bear to watch myself. <laughs> and they'll go, come in, Mark, Mark, you're on the telly. Come on, come in, you're on. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's 20 years later. You're never going to get the message. I can't watch myself. Because I'm like, why am I pulling that expression? Why am I doing this <laughs> I can do it when I'm on set, looking on a monitor, being objective and hitting a certain mark and being professional. But once it's done, it's in the can. Like, I can't watch it. I just, I can't watch it on anything. I can't watch myself back on anything. But well, you know, Martina, it actually is one of the, it came out in the recent One for All gift card research that Love Actually came out as the best Christmas film of all time. It's like, oh. you know, you are Christmas to so many people, do you know? So it's, it is synonymous. So I think that's oh. a well-deserved title. That, yeah. is so, that is so lovely. And I heard Elf's up there, which we watch. Oh, and It's a Wonderful Life, which we watch. And yeah. me and my mum, I don't know whether it's just because we get to see Bruce Willis in a vest. And I don't <laughs> even know if it's a Christmas movie. But we always seem to watch Die Hard. That's the debate, isn't it? It's, it's like, a confusing it's a one. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> 
but, but when, when it comes down to it, though, I mean, obviously, it's that, that family time that's important, sitting down watching these marvellous movies together. But, Lou, it's, it's about the gifts, too, and it's about making sure everyone gets what they want for Christmas. And, and obviously, they want to see Martin McCutcheon on their telly box, apart from Martin. However, everybody else is, is, is also after that and a great gift as well. It is, absolutely, because you know yourself, um, Jason, at this time of year, it is so stressful. Like, there's so many things to do. You have the whole, you know, who's going to host, who's not going to host, who's going to come, who's going to attend. So, you know, choosing um, a, a Christmas gift should be one of the, the, the least stressful things. So, you know, something like the, the One for All gift card is an ideal Christmas solution, because one of, one of the things that came out in our research is that, and I, I was quite disappointed by this, I actually love getting this, but 17% uh, said novelty socks. They don't want them. But the top, what topped that was 53% said the bath and shower gift sets. That's a no-go. Yeah. So the gift card, I think, is, is an ideal solution. It makes it yeah. easy. I mean, Martine, have you got a favourite pair of Christmas socks? Because for me, Christmas socks aren't just a Christmas. They are for life. And I will wear them any time of year. But, uh, I mean, how do you feel about them? I have to say, I would rather have a one for all gift card. <laughs> <laughs> a pair of novelty socks, I really what? would. And then I can pick something that I actually really genuinely love. And I am going to do it for my sister because she's really stylish, but we have different taste. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also going to do it for my stepdad because I just don't know what's in his head. Like, I don't know. I, I, I never seem to get it quite right. So I am going to do that for him and for my sister this year for sure. And I think me and my sister were probably going to go out on Christmas Eve with the gift card and she can pick out something gorgeous um, because you can go like to 55,000 different stores. Like you can have everything from jewellery, underwear, fashion, furniture, you name it. And she's moving. So it'll be perfect. But you can only go to 55,000 different stores on one night if you're Father Christmas. It'll take you a little while longer if you're everybody else. <laughs> But see, now I was thinking of there, but the choice is there. Yeah. The last thing they're doing was hiding a one for all gift card in a pair of novelty socks, but that's probably another story completely, <laughs> isn't it? So I'd like to get you as my secret Santa, Jason. You'd be brilliant. That'd be a bit of fun. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good idea. I like that. But yeah, so we, we can all uh, sit down and relax over Christmas, as we say. And it, it is about having that chill, that relaxed time. And the good bit about a one for all gift card is you can you collect several of them and then go and do one big shopping trip and, and, and get it all together. So it, it, it's, it's fine if, if everybody gets each other a one for all gift card and you can choose the right festive design as well, can't you, Lou? That's right, you can. It's actually several different designs. I, I love the, the little Santa one. It's gorgeous, super cute. But there's um, the classic red design as well. And of course, there's our classic um, gift card. But there's so many different ones to choose from. You can pop into your local post office or Tesco or most major supermarkets nationwide or else just jump onto the website, oneforall.com. And you can personalise all this online with a message as well, can't you? That's right, you can, especially if you had our digital gift card. You can actually do a personalised video. Uh, which is pretty cool um, but again you can jump onto the website and see all those details but yeah lots to choose from see martin there's, a, there's another great way of doing it you could actually do moments from love actually recreated on your gift cards for your family by doing them digitally this year do you know do you know what my my family like what might impress someone else my family is so over me <laughs> they'd, they'd just be like what are you doing can you just give me the lovely gift card please um no, but I do think that the idea, the personalised, you know, thing is is lovely because that is thoughtful. And I think that that is, um, yeah, it just makes you, it makes you feel like someone's taken the time to do it as well. So, yeah, I think I think that's a win-win. Yeah, it works absolutely every time. So once again, Lou, where do we go to to get our One for All gift cards? Just jump onto our website, oneforall.com. 
And Martine, uh, what have you got going on at the moment, apart from the endless repeats and warranted repeats of Love Actually? What else have we got going on at Worthing CU? Well, it's the 20-year celebration um, of Love Actually. We had a huge um, show that's coming out with Diane Sawyer in the States and over here. Um, I'm going to be working on some more presenting work, some more branding work, which I've been doing a lot more of um, on Instagram, which has been amazing and so much fun because I've got a little boy and I can be flexible with that. Um, but I'm also going to start working on a new album in the new year. Um, so, yeah, really busy, exciting time. We're going to rename next year Martin McCutcheon 2023, I think, by the sounds of things. It's all going to come together in one go. It all sounds fantastic. Martin McCutcheon and all for all's Lou Hickey, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Fifty years after they first formed, The Real Thing are back with an amazing new song for Christmas. I'm joined now by somebody who shares his name with Christmas, effectively Chris Amu. Good afternoon, sir. How are you doing? Good day Christmas after me, by the way. It was, Just yeah. so sad, you know. <laughs> Just so sad, you know. <laughs> the scary, scary bit is, it's 40 years since your last studio album. That's the bit that's worrying me. Yeah, basically, um, we've obviously we've had, uh, record singles out yeah. in that time but um not an album you know uh, um that's the way it goes in this business you know sometimes when you're in the control when somebody else has got control of what you're doing um you're really at their disposal um we're very very fortunate and i think that the music business is fortunate that times have moved on and record companies no longer have ultimate control over what you do and what you don't do and that's why we've been able to come up with this brand new album now. Yeah, because I mean, we've got a lot of people who are re- releasing stuff independently. And for new artists, that is, you know, the ability to be able to do that is amazing. But when it's someone who's established like yourself, again, that makes yeah. even more potential, doesn't it? Because you have that complete creative control and you can speak to your audience in a way that you've been stopped from doing so in the past. That's fantastic that you should say that because that's exactly the truth. You know, basically, um, our audience. The real thing have been dormant for a long, long time. Not on, you know, obviously we do festivals and we do all that, you know, uh, we've done a lot of television and things like that, but it's it's just getting that new product out so that people have got an idea. People who liked you then and people who have liked you over the years have got a chance to sample what you are doing now. And that's something that um, we never had control of before and didn't have control of even to some extent when we were actually recording properly, you know. But I mean, it's always been an amazing sound that you've had. And I say, I, I, I am, you've been working in the industry since I was born, basically. I was born in 72. But yeah. I remember your music from when I was a kid growing up. And it's just I mean, an inspirational sound and, and a band who've, who've been out there really just, just putting yourselves on the map and, and inspiring others. Yeah, look. It's something that we always wanted to do from when we were kids ourselves, you know, and um, we never had ever had anything else on our mind but doing this. And the fact that we've been able to do it for so long, I mean, forget the records and forget everything else. The fact that we've actually been able to have a career in show business, for me, is success in itself. The rest is icing on the cake, you know, yes. Um, we had great records and it's given us great success and it's fantastic to be in the position that we're in. But believe you me, it's like we just enjoyed 
being able to do make a career out of show business. But, but your success isn't just limited to the music. I love the fact that you've been having some brilliant times with your wolfhounds, your Irish wolfhounds this year. Yeah, um, uh, uh, showing dogs is something, once again, that I've done for over 40 years now. And that is my getaway and my stress reliever, shall mm. we say. Um, it always has been. And um, it's a fantastic uh, hobby to participate in. Gives me a lot, a lot of enjoyment. And... Um, yeah, once again, we've been very successful at it. Well, I say, well, we expect nothing less than success, whatever project you're working on, because I, I know you've set yourselves high standards and always have done. And whether it's the songs that we hear from yesteryear still on our radios, day in, day out, or this latest Christmas offering. So explain why you are now entering into the world of Christmas music. We always wanted to do <laughs> a song, and Eddie and I always wanted to write one, but it was... Basically, when you when you were sort of with a record company and things, you had to have some kind of gimmick behind it. You had to write in a gimmicky type of way, um, or you were directed to. So it never appealed to us because I've not been, I've never been into gimmick music, mm-hmm. and I never will be. It just doesn't it just doesn't resonate with me. And so we always sort of shied away from it, but it was something that we always wanted to do. So basically. Um, when I started writing uh, the album, the new album, um, it was during lockdown. And I thought to myself, it, just this little ditty came into my head, you know, and I thought this really would make a nice Christmas song without being gimmicky. It's just a nice, happy song about Christmas. And um, that's how it came about, you know, when uh, during lockdown, while I was penning songs, for the album and we never put it on the album for obvious reasons we wanted to keep it unique for christmas Mm -hmm. so yeah it's the first time we've had really the control to be able to do the type of christmas song that we want to actually do yeah because your your music has always been really cool music and it's always had you know that that feeling to it so does this tell us a, a bit about your personal christmas christmas is a happy time and the build up might be stressful and the aftermath is certainly stressful <laughs> when you win it, you've got to toss everything up. But um, it's it's a happy time. And so therefore, it should be, for me, a happy song. And I'm happy over Christmas. And I hope that the song makes people happy over Christmas. Well, we will hear it in a short while's time. But before we do, you know, you're, you're in the depths and, and coming towards the end of a 55-date UK tour. Uh, but you've got a, a really big show. I mean, the, the, we've, we've missed talking about the Midlands shows, but you've got a massive one coming up at the London Palladium on the 20th of January. So this is well worth a bit of talking about because this is, this is Christmas gift ticket time, isn't it, I think? This is going to be yeah. on people's uh, shopping lists. Well, once again, it's, a list, it, it, it's something that comes off the bucket list. It's something that we've always wanted to do. You know, not with a great desire, you know, it was just the London, the London Palladium, but it's so iconic, you know, that when it comes up, it really gives you a buzz to think that you're going to be headlining there. And I remember I used to watch Sunday nights at the London Palladium, you know, um, when I was young and things, and never dreaming that one day we'd be headlining it ourselves, you know. And... Um, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. And the tickets are going extremely well. And, yeah, I think it's going to be a great night, you know. I'm really looking forward to it. 
and, and, and with everything from your, your roots in Liverpool, uh, I, mean, uh, I mean, just uh, the Toxteth, uh, your home growing up and uh, an area I, I know a, a bit about because I, I lived on Smithdown Road when I was a student on Fell Street just down oh, there. Really? So, you know, it's uh, it's a city which has sort of produced so much vibrant music the same way as the Midlands has. And I think, you know, it, it's great to, that you are able to spend time with, with the likes of, of John Lennon and, and, and uh, back in the day. So, you know, your music really has got great pedigree. And I, I think you, you continue to bring that to the fore here, aren't you? Yes. Um, well, Children of the Ghetto, basically, as far as we're concerned, Eddie and I, it's the best piece of music that we have ever, ever written. It's the most important song to the group that we've ever recorded. Um, and it means more to us than any other song that we've ever done. Simply because when you listen to Children of the Ghetto, the real thing are the lyrics. Uh, it, it is our, our upbringing. See, we were listening. I was brought up on Marvin Gaye and Curtis Mayfield. And all them type of bands, when they started coming out with their, um, their, their music, which told a story about the ghettos in America and where they were from and mm -hmm. growing up in them ghettos and their experiences growing up there. And basically, we used to look at these guys and they looked like us, you know? They looked like us. They were black, um, they were American, and they just looked like we look. And that's what gave us the inspiration to be in this business in the first place and we realized Eddie and I realized very early on that we would like to write about our experience growing up in our area in the city area in Liverpool you know because we had a story to tell as well and that's how the song Children of the Ghetto uh, came about and if you notice on our new album there's a quadrilogy of songs, which the main one is Children of the Ghetto. There's another three songs which are all interwined about our experiences and young black people's experiences growing up in uh, the ghetto areas all over the world. And um, so basically, uh, it's very important to us, you know, and that's how Children of the Ghetto came about, you know. Well, I mean, it's like amazing music, such passion. And there's always a story behind the songs, whether it's a truth about life or or whether it's something that you're trying to get across. And we look forward to hearing more of that. We've got a studio album today for the first time in 40 years. Fingers crossed it won't be too long before we get another one. It doesn't take another pandemic to get you uh, into the studio to do it. <laughs> but uh, give us all the details of where we can find the current stuff before we listen to Christmas time. Yeah, but you can find the current stuff and you can download it on Amazon, iTunes, Spotify. You can also buy the physical CDs from the Real Thing shop of our website, and which is the, the official real thing.com. And you can hear and see a lot of videos covering the new material uh, if you follow us on Facebook. Simple as that. Look out for the real thing because when it comes to amazing music, you absolutely certainly are. Christopher, thank you for joining us. Have a great Christmas. And um, we look forward to the fact that you're going to be playing one of the biggest venues in the nation at the Palladium and more tours in the not too distant future, too. It's been really great talking to you, man. Really, really nice. Honestly, I mean that. It's been really nice. <laughs> Thank you.
44% of young people would consider allowing somebody else to use their bank accounts if they were offered cash and a percentage to do it. This could make them a money mule. We certainly don't want that. It is absolutely no laughing matter. However, we normally expect a bit of a giggle out of Shapiko Sandy, who joins us now. And we also have with us Ed Fisher, Head of Fraud at the Nationwide Building Society. Hello to you both. Hello. First of all, give... Talk about fraud in a comedic way. Yeah, well, talk about fraud. It is a, it is a tricky one, isn't it? Because I mean, Jeffrey, we we we're used to giggling when we see you. Uh, that is pretty much standard. But I mean, the seriousness of of fraud as it, it is a, a difficult one because if somebody does get used as a money mule, they could be putting themselves in significant danger when it comes down to a potential prosecution. Absolutely. And what we found was. Um, the nationwide research said that 33% of young people would consider their bank account being used um, because they don't completely understand that they are complicit to a crime. It's not a benign act. And what we have found is that these fraudsters are getting um, smarter and smarter at hoodwinking and targeting people. And of course, with the current climate and everybody's um, worried about their finances, people are becoming much more vulnerable. I always thought I was completely immune to fraud. I mean, I didn't fall for it, but I had someone phone me, they knew my bank account, um, a number, they knew my name, they said they were from my bank, and they said that they knew my address. And they gave me a very convincing story of fraud uh, within my account and that I should move my account to the account that they were about to give me. And within 24 hours, it would be returned to my bank account once their systems had been made safe. Now, I didn't fall for it, but I did think if that was my, one of my children, and it was their first time having a bank account and a step into the adult world. And they're still in that sort of place where a grown up is telling them something because you can feel that way at 18, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes. I thought it's really important, especially these days, you know, cashless society, they don't see money. It's, it's an abstract concept. It's not always real to children. Um, so, that's that's why I was really um, happy to be uh, talking about this with you today because it's very important to it keep up with the, 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 the times when it comes to fraud. Okay, I'll get you to do a standard routine to make us feel better in a moment of time because this is scary as hell, isn't it? I mean, Ed as well. I mean, nationwide at uh, the forefront of this research and really trying to protect not only your own customers but highlight this to absolutely everyone that there is uh, a chance out there that somebody could be trying to get you involved. And it could be anything. They, they could be trying to put drug payments through your account. Uh, it could be a, a, a larger scale. It's not just that... Uh, Prince from somewhere halfway around the world who's got all his uh, inheritance to, uh, to to money launder, uh, who's been emailing for the last decade and a half. There are more real people out there who actually are, are not going to be as secretive and uh, are not going to uh, do anything other than convince you that they are making a, a safe move around your accounts. And that's exactly it. Yeah, they're, they're bold. They're very bold. And when we think of a scam, we will typically think of the victim, um, but of course the victim will, will need to send the money somewhere. And what people aren't necessarily thinking is that they're not necessarily sending it to the criminal directly. The criminal wants to stay under the radar. So they're going to be enlisting other people to receive the money and also scamming them. Uh, and it's a really nasty crime because of course you are a victim, but at the same time, as Shappy said, and as you said, it's it has the effect of making you effectively aiding that, that crime. And you really don't want to be involved in that because you, you have no real idea as to where the money's from 
how, how that money was earned, what what terrible things might happen to to get that money, and where the money's going, and what it's going to go on to funding. So you certainly don't want to be a part of that, and you know it can be quite a, a frightening experience. And I think the main thing that we want to get across to people is that it, you know you see these job ads, you see these things on whether it's social media, the internet. You know, don't believe everything you see. You know, easy money doesn't come easy. You you do have to work hard, you know, for for your for your earnings. And if you do think that you got involved in something that you shouldn't, the most important thing you can possibly do is tell someone, tell your parents, tell your friends and family, tell your bank or building society, tell the authorities, because whatever is going on will will need to be investigated and resolved. Yeah, and if you you've got suspicions that it is something illegal, absolutely tell the police. As soon as you come forward, they will know that you are less likely to have been involved in the entire chain of things. If they find you later on, there's going to be a lot more investigation before they find out that you've been duped. And as Shafi was talking about there, uh, she had somebody try and get access to her accounts to get her to transfer money out. And once you give someone access to your accounts to transfer money in and use it as a, a way of hiding cash and, and where it's originally sourced from, they, they can actually do anything at all in your name and they could easily be taking out additional loans or other uh, uh, you know, financial products that you're just completely unaware of. Well, absolutely. I mean, and in simple terms, I mean, there's so much that, of course, nowadays can, can be done with some, some information that is passed around. But I think another way to look at it is, you know, you know not to carry someone else's bag onto a plane. You understand that, you know, you would be held responsible for what's in the bag. And it's the, it's the same with your bank account. You will be held responsible for what's, for what's in the account. But as you say, it's about telling someone, you know, if you get involved in something, you might have thought it was a job. You might have thought you were going to earn a fee. Um, the sad thing is the fee probably won't turn up because they won't, they won't want to share their ill-gotten gains with you. Um, but absolutely, it's tell someone get it launched, get the investigation launched so that you can uh, make sure that you're part of the solution, not part of the problem. Uh, and Shappi, I mean, this is something which, I mean, you must worry about as far as a family point of view, that somebody could try and do it to, to, to you again or you know, your kids at the point which they do have bank accounts. And uh, it, it is so easy sometimes to get taken in. And sometimes it can be through a friend of a friend as well that, who's already been duped. And that may seem, make it seem all right. Yeah, actually, my children were with me when a young woman that we met told us that her and her, her mum had been done out of £20,000 because somebody phoned and said that they had uh, information, uh, the police had information on them, that you have been committing fraud and you have to immediately pay this amount. Um, that sounds like, come on, no one would fall for that. But this, you know, young woman, she just graduated from university, she'd moved back in with her mom, and her and her mom freaked out because the person sounded very authentic and they transferred £20,000. He frightened them. He said, the police are on their way to arrest you. And, you know, you just need to be um, a bit more savvy and aware about. Um, confidence tricksters. I think so often we're so worried about uh, causing offence to anyone that sounds authoritative in any way. And we have to be very confident in our own doubts that a professional would not behave that way. A professional would not um, ask you for money and frighten you like that. The police don't operate. You can't get rid of an arrest warrant once you've paid a fine. I'm laughing, but in, in that moment, this young woman who we'd done a pottery class with, in case you're wondering how we met her, um, and her mom were frightened because this person had so much of their details. They thought to themselves, where well, if, if there has been some fraud with our, with our tax, it was that, that was it, they pretended they were from HMRC. 
then we can pay this now to stop this arrest and then we can sort it out. And of course, they never saw that money again. I, I get a number of calls a week, which is an electronic person ringing up to tell me that I've committed tax fraud. And I, I know I haven't because all my yeah. stuff is PAYE. I can't possibly have done. And I wouldn't do that anyway because I'm a nice person. And uh, it, it, it is harder when someone like yourself who's probably uh, working and having to do an annual return regularly. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it is easy to catch out maybe a small business owner as well. Uh, so it, it, it doesn't make it simple. You know, that is such a good point because I have um, the absolute, I'm, I'm trying to get better, but I, I'm not good with money. I'm not good with all the terminology around tax. I have a man and I give my accounts to. So when someone did, I got a text from H, well, purporting to be uh, from HMRC saying tax fraud, I absolutely freaked out. And I emailed it to um, the police, to, to the accountants, to the mayor, to my mum. It's really frightening when you get a sudden thing. Uh, and then they all reassured me that Shout, these are fraudsters and this is the reaction they want because there was a, a message to call back and they, you know, and they probably would have given me a bank account to give my life savings to. So, um, you know, with, with children, like, so with my children, uh, well, my generation were always taught about stranger danger, right? Um, but actually, you have to go a step further and say someone doesn't need to be a stranger for you not to get into their car. It's got to be someone that you just don't know very well, hasn't been to your house, your mum doesn't know, your, your parents or whoever doesn't know. Likewise with being robbed, it's not just a mugger in the street now. It's online, so you have to be aware of it and you have to make your children aware of it from a very young age of how these sort of crimes work, that crimes aren't just someone snatching your phone off the bus. It's, it's online on your phone. They have your details and yeah. to be very, very aware. So moments away from Shappy doing us all of her fraud material to make us giggle right ahead before you do that give us the info where we can find out more about uh, avoiding being a money mule and the fraud protection that's uh, advice that's there in nationwide yeah absolutely i think Shappy's put it put it perfectly it's not it's not the mugger that we have to look out for it's the people online it's the fake ads you know it's the guy sitting on top of the ferrari saying you can you can do what i did and you can get rich quick you know just click here sort of thing so we've got to be aware if you want to find out more just go to nationwide.co.uk and at the search bar at the top, just type in mules and you'll come up with some articles about mules. There's also an independent website, moneymules.co.uk. And that's got lots of great information too. Jason. Yes. I have one joke for you. Okay. It's not fraud related, but I made it up and I'm really proud of it. Uh, my friends are allergic to rice. He's basmatic. Okay. Okay. I've just cancelled myself. Okay, that, that, that I, I, I enjoyed that, and uh, that certainly wasn't fraud when you told us it was comedy, so that's what counts. Uh, <laughs> Fisher, Head of Fraud at Nationwide, and Shafi Sandy, thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Marcus Proctor has a book which is out there showing his world for six years out on the road with a bit of backpacking around the world. He joins me now to tell me quite what he's been up to. Hello, sir. G'day Jason, how are you? I'm okay, thank you very much. And uh, where do we find you and we hope you're well? Well, right now I'm in Sydney, Australia. So it's about midnight, my time, just mm -hmm. after midnight. <laughs> but uh, I've been out, I've been um, doing a like an open mic night for the book, which is, we went down well, it was really cool. 
Tell, tell us a, a bit about the book itself, because uh, this is this is your chance uh, to tell your tales as a happy traveller. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I was in I was living in Sydney actually, and it was around the beginning of '99, and I was in a relationship, and it wasn't going very well. And my sister has started traveling about six months prior, mm-hmm. and my parents were, I was just feeling a bit like, ah, cause I was in Sydney for about four years and I was doing acting for a couple of years. And that's what I am, an actor writer. And I just needed to have a break and experience life for a bit. So I did that for a year and I just, yeah, I just wasn't going anywhere. And my parents just recommended maybe getting a passport. And so I did that. And then just organically, like with my sister going and it just kind of built up and yeah, with my relationship, we just broke it off. And then I went back home for a few months, for about five months, just to save money. And yeah, then I set off around September 99. And I just, I thought, because I was still kind of with my boyfriend, and I just thought, okay, well, we'll just I'll just go for a year. And you can come visit me in six months, and then I'll come back. And yeah, and it, it ended up being six years I lived. <laughs> I went backpacking around the world. Uh, that is pretty amazing in itself. And uh, you started acting when you were seven. So uh, this is something that's been in your blood for a good while. Uh, how old were you when you started on the trip around the world? I would have been 25. So a, a good age to have some life experience. But I think you've probably used a lot of what you've covered in the book as a sort of life experience you've used to incorporate into the, the comedy and drama works that you've been writing of late. Yeah, I have. <clears throat> um, they say write what you know. So I would say um, there's a comedy called Heaven Can Wait fingers crossed um, for these three, but um, Heaven Can Wait is UK based. Mikey is Canada, America, and Elliot's Creek is the drama. And that's Australian based. And I guess Elliot's Creek is more biographical in a way, but all three, yeah, they, it really informed just how I wrote. Like I've written a lot of other shows since, which are more branching out into other dimensions kind of to so to speak other people's worlds but yeah these three really informed like were informed by my travels yeah mm-hmm. very strongly but you set out and during that six years you didn't head home you you were out there the whole time and uh, and, and making money to keep yourself sustained <laughs> um no I, I went back home twice like I went I was away for about two years and three months and then I came back for six months because I was in London, um, most of the time I was in UK, actually, and London, and I connected very well with London. I had a beautiful time, and I really came out of myself. Like they say, when you're 25, your brain is fully formed, like mm-hmm. it's matured, like you become an adult, really, at 25. And yeah. it was a good time to really go out and experience the world. And I really, I was a bit shy, or very shy with dancing, and I'm a social guy, but also just like I had a bit of yeah, I just really wasn't myself. And yeah, just those two years in London, I really just, it was just literally going on. And yeah, I really discovered the world and myself, the world within myself. And then, yeah, I was there for two years and then I had been enjoying life a bit too much. Like I was um, going clubbing and I was a bit of a disco bunny and taking, so I went back home for six months to just kind of, I was usually like 66 kilos and I went down to 58, which was like, um, I'm not painting myself as a drug addict just a lot of fun and so I just kind of wanted to go home and just spend time with my dogs and so I went back home for six months and then I went traveling for another year where I went to 
oh, it was, I had an Irish visa, so I spent most of my time in Ireland. And then I came back after a year because my sister was getting married and I was very attached to my dogs. So um, we ended up staying home for nine months then. Yeah, really, um, <laughs> me and my dad don't really get along. So, <laughs> so that was fun. But yeah, I was there for about nine months and then I ended up traveling the third part of my journey. So I hate that word, it's very overused, but the third part of the journey was the more very intense one where I spent... I would say maybe 18 months backpacking, but then I spent another 18 months um, in London again, acting and getting back into acting. But that third part was when I went to Canada for about nine months, and then I went to New York for a few months, LA for a few months, and then back to London. So you've been keen to travel the English-speaking part of the world. Uh, but again, when you are so many miles from home, I think it does have an effect as well, wherever you are. I mean, I've been to Perth in Australia, and although uh, it, it feels like a, a very different place, even though you can identify with so much of what's going on. In fact, I mean, Perth itself, it's probably a different place to Sydney, and it almost felt like a bit like the 50s with mobile phones uh it, it it's but it has an, a, a nice warm familiar feel to it yet still being different so i'm going to guess you had the same sort of experience with london and and, and ireland um that's interesting like i went to i like my when i really felt like i was traveling was when i was in morocco for a month but so yeah but i i don't know there's i believe like who knows what the universe is all about but I when I arrived in London it was right at that it's just the right place right time I just fit in so well and I remember just like even learning how to do the pound sign while I was at work <laughs> just like but it, it's just it was everything was so like a stranger at all but when I went to Ireland and I was there for a few nights initially and then everything fit in so well but when everything's going so well I freak out I can panic sometimes and it's like oh this is too good and I bought a ticket to Dublin still very London was a very um, life-affirming experience so I was still trying to manage my way navigate my way through the fact that I wasn't there anymore but I was in Cork and I I was because I, I was a rent boy for off and on throughout that whole experience and I did a bit of renting for a couple of days to make money and then I just bought a ticket to Dublin and while I was catching while I was walking up just to stay like in my heart and when I got to the driver, I just said, oh, I'll, I'll be back. Sorry, I'll just come back. And I ran back to the ticket lady and said, could I get a refund, please? And she said, yeah, that's, of course, would love you to stay. And which was an interesting thing. I rang my mum while I was there when that happened, after that happened, <clears throat> excuse me. And she said that both sides of our family are from Cork or went through Cork. And I don't know if that meant, <laughs> I don't know if that means I'm inbred. I really hope not, but I, it was just very interesting that that feeling in me was I've never felt like a stranger when I've traveled like I've been it's always felt very organic even going to because I was in Holland for maybe six months and even that was because like, when I, I went to Amsterdam two other times before I moved there within a year and even when I was there those I don't know if it's another life or another spirit guiding you I don't know but yeah I never felt like I was that's when that really felt like I was traveling. Uh, but I say travel is something that was certainly just brought in the mind and uh, the experiences you had along the way and your ways of uh, getting the cash in uh, to, to fund the, the, this lifestyle obviously has a, a personal toll as well, which which is yeah, very different to maybe working behind a bar. So, you know, it's a, a, a very personal experience. And, and I take it that comes across in the book and in, in the way in which you describe everything that uh, that happened to you. Thanks. Yeah, I 
yeah, it was a very unique experience, like just way of traveling. Cause like I said, I was a rent boy, some difficult situations and some, yeah, cause I've never really been what was going to what was going to happen. I really thought I was just going to be gone for a year. And it, especially those first couple of years was when it was me and really just like having these adventures and the manager there was, a <laughs> was in charge of a, a site back then. This was the year 2000. So the internet was just starting to blossom really. And I was, he, <laughs> he was in charge of a rent boy site. And every guy that came in, he goes, oh, do you want to make some money? I'm like, well, sure. <laughs> so we joined this website called London Lands and my title was CJ Horny Aussie Surfer. <laughs> and I would, um, yeah, just meet these guys and do whatever. And yeah, just have people like, and it was just really fun. But I, when I, when I left to go back to Australia to kind of chill and then come back, that's when, yeah, that's when the adventures were still happening. And I was having fun, but also there was just something pushing it more and behind me. And it was more, I mean, I'm not getting all Oprah on people, but yeah, there was more like, you know, childhood stuff that I had repressed. And I didn't realize that was kind of informing me just to kind of bring these memories to the forefront. And it got to a point, I guess, a few years. I was in Los Angeles for a couple of months um, and kind of tentatively getting back into acting. But um, traveling was such a big part of my life it was hard to let it go so I had about 12 months of just kind of easing my way out of it and at the tail end I was in Los Angeles so it can be a very crazy energy there and I was getting a bit of a liking to meth as well but I was on Santa Monica Boulevard and I was a rent boy there and I guess the the peak of those adventures was when I met a guy and we haggled over price but he agreed on mine eventually and we went back to his place and did whatever and then he put his version of the money while I was getting dressed next to me and gave me the one mate and we started arguing and eventually he um he went into like a drawer and, and he was like um you know to get the money which i didn't have when i was just like talking out my butt and he said you really think i had to talk my way out of that and i was pretty calm i'm not i don't get unnerved very easily but yeah i got the money and yeah it was just that like when i got home i had to make the money back and yeah i got home and he and that it just kind of hit me that I I literally could have died. Like I had no, I like dental records, nothing. And it was just very, it was kind of like a wake up call. So I went, that's when it was literally like the next morning anyway, that I was leaving for London, which was a bit fortuitous, if that's the word. And I, um yeah, those into friends, like I do have a, an adventurous spirit. Yeah. It just kind of got, yeah, it just kind of got dark for me. The dark times and the light times could all be discovered in Happy Traveller. Where do we find the book and what's your website? You can find it on amazon.co.uk. Mm-hmm. And my, I mean, you just type in my name, Marcus Proctor, M-A-R-C-U-S-P-R-O-C-T-O-R. And the book's name is Happy Traveller. And that's with two L's. And yeah, you just type that in and it's out on paperback Kindle. And maybe in the UK, you could get it in hardcover, but I'm not sure about that. In Australia, you can't, but maybe in the UK, you can get that. Well, we'll check that out, Marcus. It's been fantastic speaking to you. Thank you for joining us and sharing a little bit of the journey. The whole thing is available in the book and we'll look out for your TV work in the not too distant future. But thanks again. Thank you, Jason. And thanks for everyone for listening. That's your lot for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode 703 next week. I'll see you then. Try for now. Goodbye from the milk bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.